welcome to your Mind is Trying to Kill You podcast. Join your host, Alexandros Megas, and co-host Vincent Byrne, as they walk you through the deepest recesses of the mind and how it operates. They discuss all the reasons why our minds persistently get in the way of our evolution, growth, and our success. But crucially, they also teach you what you can do to change your destiny. And now, here's your host, Alexandros Megas. Welcome to the 44th episode of the infamous Your Mind is Trying to Kill You podcast. I am your host, Alexandros Megas. And I'm your co-host, Vincent Byrne. And today, I want us to talk about uh, something that uh, just came to, to mind. I had been noticing that, of course, for a long time here and there, but it hadn't clicked in me as something that should be examined because I see it on other people, especially young, younger people, but everyone really. Uh, I saw a post by some young lady with uh, uh, a, a picture, you know, like a selfie, and uh, her caption was, am I ugly? You know, and this broke my heart because this is what I call the degradation of the self-image. And uh, I wanted us to talk about this a little bit. Uh, there is a book, there's this amazing book that uh, has been around for a long time, actually. And it's called uh, Psycho-Cybernetics. Oh, yeah, Maxwell Maltz. Yeah. Amazing, yeah. yeah. Which talks a lot about that, because this is a guy that used to be, say used to be because he's not with us any longer, uh, a, a cosmetic surgeon. And mm. uh, he started having problems with some of his um, clients that came to him for some kind of visual facial correction because it uh, degraded their self-esteem. And uh, he noticed that some of those people, when operated on, after they operated on, they actually acquired back their self-esteem and um, massive amounts of uh, evolution and growth came out of that. However, he, no he also noticed that about 50%, uh, just about 50% of... Uh, those uh, patients, I guess I shouldn't call them clients, right? patients, patients, uh, they would completely almost disregard the results of the operation and they would actually claim that nothing has changed, right? There's nothing changed on my face. I mean, the guy you know, completely corrected a crooked nose or whatever it is that you would do. Uh, but they couldn't see the difference. And this was what prompted him, you know, of course, seeing 
several, a lot of those people with these same symptoms dealing with us and trying to understand them. And then he started researching, of course, more and more into the psychological aspect of how and why this happens. And he came up with the concept of the self-image, or in this case, a poor self-image. And um, of course, he goes at it in detail, great detail. I highly recommend that book. Uh, because of mm -hmm. course, he's talking a lot about uh, our self-image, which is our subconscious um, reflection, our how we view ourselves, right? Uh, and, and of course, the reason why in very many cases we start building or rebuilding affirmations in this uh, attempt to correct some of the damage that's been done to our self-image over the years. So, am I ugly? When someone says something like that, what do you think of them? Well, my first reaction would probably to feel sorry for them. And yeah, probably to feel sorry for them and um, wonder why it is that they are feeling like that. Because I suppose some people might ask it from a place of having been told it and others will come from a place where they have compared themselves to say models in magazines or people in cinema or whatever and they don't see themselves uh, at the same standard in their eyes and therefore judge themselves for that and feel bad that they've probably been dealt dealt a, um, a bad hand or they're at the back of the queue when the good looks were being handed out or in a different queue so so yeah that's that would be it more to feel sorry for them i think the thing interesting i've read that uh, i've read psychocybernetic several times and uh, one of the interesting things that i took from it uh, around the self-image was that um, the people who typically were happy with the job that he did were people who had had some kind of um, accident or damage done to their face in the first place so someone was in a car accident or someone had been slashed by a knife or whatever. And then fixing it took these scars and this damage away. Whereas the, and that was who he originally set out to help. And then it was as, as people in the 19, I think it was in the 1920s um, when he started. Um, he started to see more and more people coming in, more women coming in in particular, uh, looking to get nose jobs and um and breast jobs as well and the interesting thing was that he commented was that in the 1920s and early 30s women tried to look quite androgynous and almost flat like boys so it was all about breast reduction whereas then you move it on a number because they didn't feel beautiful then and then you move it on and 30 years later they're looking for breast enhancements because they weren't big enough and he said how the, the whole thing shifted was a fascinating um, uh, was fascinating to him that people were being driven by these outer perceptions um, of themselves, been driven by what the media said and been driven by society and then judging themselves 
against that as to whether they felt beautiful or ugly, as the case may be. So, um, and, and as a result of, of discovering it, he used to insist on people having sessions around why it was that they wanted to change. He used to insist that they would take time over it before he did it. And unless they had taken time to reflect, he told them that he wasn't going to do it. Well, that's, it's amazing, isn't it? It's brilliant. And, and I'm glad you mentioned this thing with the models um, throughout the decades, because it's extremely important. I mean, that's a great way to, to look up what it is that uh, we started talking about. So according to then uh, the time that we are examining this particular uh, affliction, I guess, <laughs> be it am I beautiful or am I ugly, the same person would look totally beautiful during one era, and the, the same person, of course, if you put them as they were uh, without change to, into the other era, they would look ugly and they would per perhaps feel ugly too. So we are then, all we're saying here is that uh, the self-image that is, of course, being driven by the subconscious mind, in this case, is being instructed not by the self at all, uh, but by external influences, external stimuli, external circumstances. Uh, which to me, it made the most sense to examine. It's like how much of our self-esteem is based on how other people, our circle, other people around us, Look at us, right? Mm. Isn't it amazing? Like, even, I mean, any of us would be susceptible. Think about it. <laughs> would be susceptible to, to that kind of uh, test. I don't know. I don't know if I'd pass that test. Not to say that I'm not called an asshole <laughs> many times during the day and laugh it off. But... There is a point where if you found that you have lost the admiration or the respect of your peers for any reason at all, it would sh shake you, right, to the core. Yes, and even, also even if you only perceive that you might lose it, because a lot of people come to conclusions around, in particular, their looks, and their other, the other side of it is their their intelligence, they come to that conclusion just by making assumptions rather than even hearing it from anyone. So they talk themselves into it as much as somebody saying it to them. Yes, you're right. So ultimately, though, you're saying it's the perception of um, being the outcast uh, rather than actually being the outcast. But isn't it always a perception? It's always the perception always. one way or another. Yeah. Yes, one way or another. So, which, this is a, I believe this is an amazingly important insight because most of us walk through life without 
paying attention to those details. And by not paying attention to those details, we become potential victims or actual victims, daily victims of this kind of programming because it's everywhere, right? It's not like it's just like when you go to the supermarket <laughs> or uh, when you go down to the marketplace uh, anywhere, I suppose. But even mm. more so, ironically, on your presence in like the social media, for example, platforms, right? That it feels like people are more um, susceptible to being broken down by commentary and by other mm. people's judgment, even, even if they're complete strangers, um, than they would if they were one-on-one. -on -one. Like if the person that was actually uh, causing, placing the judgment was right there with them. Which I find yeah. very fascinating. Yeah, go ahead. It is. I mean, I think the, um, the thing around social media is that um, it is, it's, it's, it's very raw and it's very, um, like it's a, a little bit like if you take the person who writes something nasty on your feed, if you take them and put them standing in front of you, would they actually say that to you? And I think, so the, the keyboard warrior thing comes into play in relation to uh, people sort of feeling that they're hiding and therefore they can say what they like. And as a result of that, they start expressing views and, and stuff, which are all obviously an extension of themselves rather than necessarily anything about you. But I think the difficulty is that when someone is sitting in a room and they're scrolling down through their feed and they see comment after comment after comment, which is negative and challenging, you start to say to yourself, well, they all can't be wrong. So therefore, so one in isolation may not be a problem, but when you start seeing them over and over and over again, you know, you start to come to conclusions that, well, all these people hate me or all these people don't like me or all these people think I'm, I'm ugly. So I must be. And I think that's where people's delicate mental state can really get tipped over the edge. And even people who wouldn't necessarily be in a delicate mental state, they can be tipped over the edge as well. But certainly if you invest a lot of who you are and how you feel in the number of likes and the kind of comments that you want on social media, then um, you're playing a very dodgy game uh, and likely to end in tears uh, when you do it. But it's, I suppose, the thing for me around people's uh, self-image. I don't know if you, did you read the Jordan Peterson book, The 12 Rules of Life? So was, he, there's some interesting stuff in it. But one of them is, one of the early ones is, to treat yourself as you would someone that you were taking care of. You know, treat yourself as, as you would treat a friend. And his, his, his point is that we are not good at treating ourselves well. In fact, we treat everyone else better than we treat ourselves. And all, the only standard that we should apply as a minimum is to at least treat ourselves as well as we might treat other people. 
So therefore, if you, if you were to examine that, you would look to see, well, I'm, I'm not going to talk about that person badly. You know, they're a friend, so I'm not going to talk about them badly. Um, I might call them out on stuff, but generally I'm going to talk about them in, in good terms. And I'm not going to think about them badly or whatever. And yet it's okay to talk to ourselves about ourselves badly. It's okay to think about ourselves badly. And that was his, his, his point. If you start getting into that game where you're thinking, seeing yourself in a bad light, then you're on a very slippery slope, regardless of where the source and the influence comes from. And it leads, it, it, it's what keeps the plastic surgery and the Botox and the uh, fillers and, and the cosmetic industry, um, you know, thriving. Because they don't do anything. In fact, they do a fair amount to encourage it. But they certainly don't do anything to discourage people from thinking of themselves as being ugly because they just put in these subtle reminders that maybe you're not, the, not as good looking as that famous actress. And um, and they make shitloads of money on the back of it, of people's insecurity. Oh, that's right. We know all about that. Yeah. The industries that are, that are actually <laughs> benefiting massively out of all these uh, symptoms of yeah. uh, and of course, as personally, I would be the first one to go and follow the money. Or follow the agendas, I guess. Because if you want to find out why something is going on, you follow the trail of either money or agendas or both to find yeah. out if there is an agenda behind this. Because, you know, a lot of people think that a lot of the stuff that happens in society is organic. You know, like... Mm. So it's like a movement, you know, like, uh, I don't know. You would expect it's a spontaneous that occurrence, right? And it, yeah, it happens because like, in, in the same way that uh, the weather changes, uh, uh, you know, over mm. different seasons. Uh, which you know, perhaps I personally, I I don't subscribe to that at all. Even in the ancient years, because I know that uh, we have always had the leaders. We have always had the kings and the queens and. Uh, the elites and the aristocracy and we've had the masses and we've always known that the masses have been susceptible to any bullshit tactic game chess-like game that their leaders and or the aristocracy whoever it is that wants to manipulate them threw at them and they swallow it whole it's happened over and over and over again right i mean history repeats itself i guess but in today's terms, these practices have been masterful. I mean, absolutely godlike. This is like sorcery of, of the highest order or lowest, I guess, however you want to define it. Um, so who we end up becoming ultimately is who... Uh, the 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 society, you know, the what we call society, which is really not what I would call society. It's a manufactured society, you know, the mm. uh, the social media and so on. Who they deem that you are, and so 
you know how they say it's and i'm sure you you've noticed that yourself i know i have um, every time you get together with a different group of people you tend to revert back to who you have been who you were when you actually formed that uh, bond that friendship that whatever group so for example every time i go to greece and visit my family right oh i to a large degree i become that person that they knew you know that that mm-hmm. boy you know a little wacky but you know to a, to a large degree I project to them the image that they've known of me. Mm. Uh, and I know that because I pay attention to that kind of stuff, right? So, but that is ultimately, I believe, what we all do. And that's why it's been said that uh, we should be hanging out with the, the right amount of people, the, the right... Uh, the right um, a flavor if you will uh, of of people and you are the sum of the five people that you hang out with all the time which means that ultimately uh, our perception the self image <coughs> excuse me the self image that is instructed by the stimuli that we get back uh, from the outside realm is building us up to be something and in this case uh, as we started talking about it it's it's building us up to be something that we are not happy with something that does not reflect anything grand about us about our humanity about our intellect about our possibilities and uh, instead it reflects something cheap, something that is uh, interchangeable, something that can be thrown away. So, so effectively, what we're saying is that we're we're a bit like you when you go back to Greece. You you become for that period that you're there. You become a product of your environment and revert to that. And likewise, if we choose to hang out with people who just want to drink beer and watch TV all day then we're going to end up somewhere in the ballpark of, of, of that kind of behavior as well. As distinct from people who are out running businesses and making lots of money, you're probably more likely to get dragged along by them as well. So, yeah, I get that. I get that. Um, because, because I suppose a, a, one of the, the things that comes back to me, and it, it also comes back to the reason why we feel unworthy, because I think... In that, am I ugly, just as easily transfers to, am I good enough? It all really comes back to that, doesn't it? Um, and whether it's about my intellect, my looks, whatever, uh, whatever else category you want to put it to, it ultimately is the question, am I good enough? And am I good enough for what? Am I good enough to fit into this group or be accepted by this group or even shine in this group? It's, it's always coming back to that. Um, so I think the, the issue with, with the way people see themselves these days is that 
there's such a huge emphasis on, in particular in, in the, generally speaking, the product and service um, promotion advertising business on showing you the, the, the bad side, you know, I bet you feel like shit, you know, therefore we can solve the problem. I mean, that's, that's typically the structure of the way the narrative is presented. So they can hit you in any topic or with any topic at any time. So whether it's you're feeling shit because you've overeaten, well, we have a, an antacid that can solve that problem. And, you know, if you're feeling dowdy and ugly, well, we have fabulous new hair coloring that we can use to solve that problem. Um, it's it's all set up like that. So if you're taking in that programming and messaging, you know, 12, 13 hours a day in one form or other, then ultimately you're going to start seeing yourself um, and behaving in a way that your first your first act is to judge yourself against whatever icon or whatever beautiful person or situation that they put up there that and say this is what you should be aiming for. I mean, I had a, a situation, a friend of mine posted um, last night about having the, the glass ceiling in particular for women in, in, uh, in, in jobs and been in a scenario where she had felt in herself that she thought she was good enough to do the job but wasn't sure whether she could do the job as a CEO. And then she decided when the opportunity came up to gonna go for it, this time last year, got the job and is now flourishing in it. And, but it, it took almost fighting through the, the self-doubt and the, um, the objections that were going to be, that, that were coming into her head, you know, all that sort of stuff. None of it from anywhere else, but just totally built up within her, her own mind to, she had to overcome all of that in order to get there and put an application in and, and turn up for an interview and all that sort of stuff. And I think people are fighting with that all the time. The idea that I'm not good enough, so there's no point. There's no point in trying. Um, or I'm not good enough, but this magic pill will fix it. Whatever that magic pill looks like. And that's, that's, that's the real virus that's killing us. <laughs> 100 percent um because isn't it isn't it so sad that with within even the example that you just brought up your friend had to uh, had to overcome something that was accepted in there i would i was going to say placed in there but it cannot be placed if it's not accepted you know, we have to accept uh, what society <laughs> uh, throws at us in order for us to be affected by it. Mm. So the idea here is that most of us are susceptible to that kind of thing. Someone says, oh, you're, you know, these days, actually, it's, <laughs> it's very easy. You know, someone says, oh, you're a Nazi, you know. <laughs> It's just like uh, back in the in the fifties, where someone would say, oh, "You're a communist." Yeah, that was a, he's a communist. Vincent's a communist. 
and then all of a sudden your life will be ruined, right? Yes. But I mean, that's that's I guess that's the practical approach to it. The idea here, however, is when you get that kind of question, going back to our original question, am I ugly, right? Am I ugly? Who are we asking? So in this case, these people, young people, even more so, but not just, they go back into uh, the stage, the theater, that gave them the role in the first place and seek to get validation from that place that uh, created that facade in the first place. And when we do that, of course, even, even if we get, especially if we do get that validation back, what do we do to our self-image? What do we do to our own programming? What do we do to our own growth? I believe we stifle that significantly, dangerously, maybe even uh, with no possibility of of being able to take it back. We get we we do find we find ourselves in these circumstances where we have to stop and realize who it is that we refer to when we say i i am who do we think that person is and now we kind of like we we step into the i guess the process of uh, how to deal with this in in the most rudimentary way right if i need if i have the need to ask someone am i whatever am i smart enough am i good enough uh and again, good enough for what, right? Because that's the other trap. We're, we've talked about that. People will take that bait from their surroundings and apply it to, you know, if, if so, if you if you say to someone, oh, you know, you're not good enough. Uh, um, I don't know, uh, tennis player. You know, and the tendencies because of all the fertile ground of the negative programming that there is, you know, our limiting beliefs, we'll take that and we will plant it in there and we'll grow all kinds of other areas to prove to ourselves and to everybody else how we're not just good enough. We're not good enough for anything and for anyone. So ultimately, I would think we need to, when we have feelings like that, feelings of inadequacy, we need to take a step back and ask in the mirror, right? Ask this question in the mirror because that's when you'll get the real answer and the real description of what your self-image is like. And if we get an honest answer from our self-image, then we can work with that. We can start, we can assess it and we can decide whether or not we accept that as an answer. Because it is up to us, right? I mean, who I am, who I came here to be, is up to me. Like, I, I am 
the driver of this particular vehicle. <laughs> yeah, I get that. I get that. But the thing that just comes up for me there is that, like, if your wife comes to you and says, am I ugly? Because she has started to have thoughts around that and doubting herself. And you say, no, babe, you look fantastic and, you know, whatever, et cetera, et cetera, whatever you would say. To some extent, that's almost dismissed. It's it's like, oh, yeah, but you're only saying that because we're married and blah, blah, blah. You know, uh, th- there's... Uh, when when the it's like if I tell you that you are it's going to crush you if I tell you that you're not you're not going to believe me so how does the person move from a place where they have decided that or they they have started to take in and accept this negative view of themselves and regardless of what anyone says regardless of what confirmation that they might have because you, you hear it a lot from, from actual models who, having gone through and made fabulous careers for themselves, don't actually think that they're very beautiful. And some of them can be quite self-deprecating um, around the whole thing. So what do you, how, do you, how do you get past the place where you feel, so, so, um, feel about yourself that, that you, you're not really going to accept any external confirmation or any external commentary and to get to a place where you're standing in front of a mirror saying am I beautiful or am I ugly and you get an answer where maybe on a spiritual level or maybe you know the the inside the the spirit that you are says no I am beautiful and then the 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 mind kicks in and goes ah but you're not because of this because of that because of the other how do you get past that well that that is the confirmation of what the self-image believes and when you get to give it i'll give an example a good one the famous actor known as danny devito (laughs) i mean if you were to take this dude outside of his charisma outside of his fame and fortune and place him on the streets and just judge judge him by the way he looks, you would say that's like a real life goblin, you know? And so I ask you, my friend, how and where does someone find the balls to not only step into society and 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 find try to find a place in it as a regular person but goes all the way all the way to the top of the mountain to become a famous actor performer right i mean that's insane what do you think and we're talking about someone who's extremely charismatic so what does that mean what does it mean to be charismatic Charismatic charisma has very little to do with the classical standards of beauty. You know, I'm saying classical, let's go back to my ancestors. You know, the Greeks had a very specific uh, idea of what the ideal of beauty is. <laughs> of course, the Greeks have very specific ideas about everything. So, how does a person like this, looking like this, can move themselves from 
that level where you start out being like, holy shit, look at me, I'm a troll, to being an internationally uh, accepted and loved uh, icon of uh, acting and, uh, and performance. And my, my view on that, and I'll let you, I'm uh, curious as to how you see that. My view is that this person had to work on himself like a mother father. He had to stand in there in front of the mirror and be like, do you going to tell me that I'm ugly? No, I will tell you who I am because I am the boss here. And your idea of what it is, the, the examination and the explanation of this image that you're giving me, it's like putting data into a computer and the computer gives you back an answer, a translation, right? He says, that person says, the translation, the data that I'm getting back from your analysis is not acceptable. Because I am the one who decides who I am, how beautiful I am, how charismatic I am, whatever it is that my personal ideal is for myself. What do you think? Well, I think if you're pretty, if you've done a decent amount of work on yourself and you've got to the place where you've decided that you can make that decision and not be influenced by what other people say, uh, I mean, I'm not saying you're completely devoid of influence, but not sufficiently influenced by what other people say to accept their pigeonholing of you. I think I, I think someone to be able to do, as you described, is someone who 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 has a good idea of who they are and therefore they're able to make such a statement. I suppose my my question and I'm sort of wondering out loud here is that given that given that that it this is predominantly the people who went to Maxwell Maltz, the people who um pay lots of money for cosmetics and modern day uh, cosmetic surgery, etc. They they're they're at a, a much higher level of vulnerability in effect and they're more likely to be the ones standing in front of the mirror saying well, it's okay that I my spirit says I'm lovely, but uh, I mean I feel shit. So, how does how did they with that mindset get at least to his point where even before becoming an international megastar, he he's able to say I don't care what anyone says. I'll decide what I want to do. That requires a certain amount of. Um self-reflection first and understanding uh, spiritual understanding I guess and when I say spiritual understanding I don't mean like you have, you have to have read an X amount of books and attended seminars and things like that uh, mm. I'm, I'm, I'm talking about the spiritual inclination that you know that you're here uh, for a reason number one that you know that you're here to perform a certain task you, you are absolutely unique there has no one that has there's no one there's never been anyone that has played your role 
and never will be after you're gone. So once you are aware, intimately aware of those facts, then you have to start in a similar fashion where you were led, or you found yourself being in uh, some kind of, a, you, you know, you hit a block, you hit a wall, and you started re-examining your life. And you said, wait a minute, that's bullshit. That's not, I don't like that. That's not, that doesn't give me joy. That doesn't give me fulfillment. I have to have been placed here on this earth, on this plane, for another reason. I have to believe that. So, okay, so, um, so y you really need to get to that place of awareness. But I think the difficulty is for most people... Um, because I found um, when I had those realizations that I didn't like what was happening and I needed to do something about it. And I, need, I, I started to realize with the counseling that I got that, you know, I, I was the one driving my own bus. So if my bus was up a cul-de-sac, then I needed to reverse it back out and come back down and go up another street. That only came after... As I say, I knew nothing until I was 40. That only came until late, relatively speaking. And it only came because of a, a major crisis, which was, you know, the marriage breaking down. So uh, I, I know that it, it, it can be hard for people to almost be driven to the point at which they need to make these kind of have these kind of reflections, I suppose that if they follow them through, then start to lead them to a place where they start to ask kind of profound questions such as why am I here and what's my purpose? And and then start to look at themselves in the context of that rather than just the superficial way that is presented to us by society, by media, advertising, etc. I mean, my my view is that that many people don't get anywhere near that kind of reflection until they're probably turned 50 or thereabouts, if, even, if they even get there. And, um, and I know that there are lots of exceptions to that, but I'm talking about the general um, uh, populace. Because my experience was that all the people that, when I started to go down this path, I found that I was leaving lots of people behind who thought I was a bit mad. And when you found people who were, who were on the path... They tended to be um, a little bit out there. Like they were definitely my tribe as I started to find them. But relatively few and far between compared to the general population. So, so it's a, it's, it's, I suppose the big challenge for people who, if they're back in this, in this superficial question, which is, am I ugly and am I good enough? these kind of things coming up for them on a day-to-day -day basis, the answers are typically presented to them as being, take this pill, get this work done, or buy this fast car, or if you have a fast car, buy a faster car. Um, and that tends to be the way that things are solved. Right. Well, that, that is, to, to the person who is superficially examining that question, yes, you're correct. That's what would happen. But we're not talking to these people. Uh, we're talking to the people that have different inclinations. 
that have different questions. And however, uh, that very possibly have had to deal with these kind of questions as well, because we all have, I know I have, uh, you know, necessarily with, uh, you know, am I ugly? Because, you know, we all know that, like I said, <laughs> I mean, how could anyone question? <laughs> But there are plenty of other such questions, you know, to to ask because because this is an indication of having been manipulated. Once once again, I've said that before many times. Uh, in my view and in my experience, your own you connect it to your own spirit, your own higher self, if you will. Uh, your own child, your own inner child, will never talk shit on you. It will never, unless it's been corrupt. Uh, so, the the idea... Yeah, go ahead. Did you want to say something? I was just going to say, so, on the basis, because I know we're getting to that uh, time thing, and we said we're going to be good this year. It's our one of our New Year's resolutions. <laughs> So given that we do know who we're talking to and we um, are saying to people who, who do question, who do look at their purpose, who, who are interested in um, standing back and having that awareness, what, what's the, if you have those inclinations or if you have someone who you know who, who, who speaks almost like that trash talk to you because they're not let's say, aware in the way that, uh, that our listeners might be. How can they help? How can they help that person? And indeed, how can they help themselves when they find themselves going to that place? Uh, I, I would say, plainly speaking, uh, when it comes to external beauty, because if, if we're talking about that, then ultimately we're talking about um, f uh, feeding or meeting a, sp a specific standard, uh, which, of course, could be either Hollywood or, you know, music industry or what have you, fashion. Uh, it is specifically and uh, deliberately created that um, um, ideal to never be met, because as long as someone can put a carrot in front of you and keep on running you know, holding the carrot, then you will keep on following them. And that's the idea. The idea is to realize when you are the bait, when you are the potential uh, victim, you're the, you are uh, the food, you are the hunt. When you realize that, then it is up to you to reassess the situation. So I have... Uh, 20, 30 pounds extra on me. And so the society says that this is bullshit. That, that doesn't, that puts me in a different kind of category of uh, beauty. And uh, it, it strips away uh, several advantages that I would have if uh, I was thinner. Uh, you can choose to accept that. I mean, it is up to you. In the same way that you go and you perform an affirmation on a daily basis, why, why do you do that affirmation? You do it because you are attempting 
to reprogram that uh, ideal that was flawed in the first place and it never uh, helped you in any way. So now you're seeking to regain your balance, you create this affirmation and you, based on that, little by little, create a new programming, create a new statement, create a new value and a new ideal. So in a similar fashion, that's why I suggested the going in front of the mirror, because you can go in front of the mirror and ask a question, or you can go in front of the mirror and state a fact, because it's actually a very good exercise, because you are talking to your reflection. Um, in essence, it's like your subconscious mind talking to mm. your conscious mind. I would say the, the best way to do that is in that kind of direct setup. Uh, you don't. You just. You just do that on a daily basis. You stand in front of the mirror and reassess and reclaim who it is that you want to be is who it is that you are. I am charismatic. I mean, charisma. Most people are not born with it, right? But there are a lot of charismatic people that claimed that charisma. This is like you know. Imagine walking around uh, in a. Uh, in a garden of like all kinds of gifts, right? Like the Garden of Eden. And you have, you see gifts floating around. And then if a certain gift uh, catches your fancy, you grab it and you take it and you put it in your pocket. So I think that it is actually much like that. That's my experience and this is my uh, opinion. You start developing. You, you have spent, if you have to, after the question, am I ugly? You have spent a lot of time building up on that. You spend a lot of time affirming that uh, perhaps you're not, at least you're not that pretty, you know, borderline ugly. You have affirmed that. You have affirmed that because you have accepted outside um, influences and stimuli. And so now you have to start reversing that process. And... The best way to reverse that process is talk back to yourself. Talk to yourself in the only way that it matters, uh, and that is directly. And standing in front of the mirror, I think, is a beautiful way to do that. What do you think, my friend? Yeah, the mirror work. Louise Hay used to talk a lot about that, doing uh, that kind of work as well. And uh, I always found it odd when she uh, talked about it, but it makes an awful lot of sense um, because you're kind of... When I've done stuff like that in the mirror, it's like as if I find that it, it's the eyes that connect and it's almost like the eyes, as they say, the window to the soul, etc. But that the eyes do seem to be representative of the person that you're speaking to. So I think that is a very good, um, a good recommendation, certainly, to, to start that. But like a lot of people get so caught up on what they don't want to be that they don't actually stop and think about what they do want to be and what they do want to have. Um, so it's all negative on themselves. But if they actually turned it around and just had a few statements to say, I am good looking, I am intelligent, I have charisma, you know, I do love myself, you know, th this kind of stuff. 
it's it's the accumulation of that that will um, start to build because God knows you've said as much you've said so much negative stuff to yourself that has actually built up to be quite a um, an enforced uh, or reinforced program over the many years as much as you've accepted it from the outside so no I think that's that's um that's good that's good absolutely you said it you said it and uh, I accept agree and reinforce everything you said my brother so therefore it is a good indication I believe when you find yourself in the predicament of having to ask questions like that is a clear indication that you need to go back in the drawing board and uh, reshape that self-image because you it is you and only you that can do that and uh, we have allowed ourselves to be influenced for so many years by wretched human beings I wouldn't even call them human beings but that uh, profited massively from uh, influencing and manipulating us into destroy our self-images and therefore our lives. So I say, it's enough of that. You know, let's rebuild that. I know it sounds like a simplistic notion. We are actually, you know, in, in the premise of this podcast, uh, we are conversing, we're talking about stuff, and uh, hopefully we are bringing up uh, insights that can help people reassess things about who they are, about who they want to be. This isn't a magic pill. But having said that, it's important to realize that you have created that self and you can undo it and redo it anytime you like. Because it is a ma- the most important insight that I've ever had in my life is that this is a malleable uh, artifact, construction, creation. So, an interesting Mag- Maxwell Maltz in Psycho- Psycho-Cybernetics actually goes in, he has his own version of what to do about changing the self-image using different techniques as well. Not necessarily using mirror work, but ultimately that's where he got to when he started to help people and he gave up, ultimately gave up plastic surgery and uh, started to help people with changing their self-image and that's uh, that's what he ended his life doing which was quite interesting awesomeness so let's all go out there and buy that book absolutely yeah we already have it (laughs) all right my brother well you know once again where does time go i feel like we've only exchanged a couple of uh, sentences and boom one hour goes by long sentences (laughs) Long since. <laughs> right. Well, we will be back, though, and that is a direct threat uh, next, yeah. next week. So brace yourself. And until next week. Let's be careful out there. And don't let your mind kill you. Thanks for listening to Your Mind is Trying to Kill You with Alexandros Megas and Vincent Byrne. If you like our show and want to make sure that you don't miss an episode, then we would love if you would subscribe on Apple Podcasts or on whatever platform you're listening to us on. And you'd be doing us a big favor if you would support us by leaving a review as well. 
It would also be great if you would take a screenshot of this episode on your smartphone and share it on social media. So join us next Wednesday when we talk more about mind hacking and taking back control of your life. Until then, have a great week. Thank you.